0: Welcome to Feminist Question Time, brought to you by Women's Declaration International, the leading global organisation defending women's sex-based rights against the threats posed by gender identity ideology. There's more information on our website, womensdeclaration.com, where you will find our Declaration on Women's Sex-Based Rights, which has been signed by 29,000 976 people from 157 countries, and which is supported by 413 organizations. We have over 100 volunteer activists, including 52 country contacts, engaged in defending women's sex based rights. We changed our name from WHRC, Women's Human Rights Campaign, to WDR. Women's Declaration International at the start of this year, but our goals remain the same, the protection of women's and girls' sex-based rights. This week we have Maureen O'Hara from the UK. She will talk about criminal justice, gender identity, and compelled speech in England and Wales. We have Carolina Agurto, Flores from Chile she's an ecofeminist and will do an ecofeminist look at the rights based on the sex of peasant girls and women in Chile uh, a similar talk on the rights based on the sex of peasant girls and women in Chile is also from will come from Costanza Constanza Riquelme Borges also from Chile and we also have Helen Pringle from Australia, and she's going to talk about the women's pool in a suburb of Sydney, the MacIver ladies pool, um, and talk about that. I'd like to hand over to Maureen O'Hara.
1: I'm going to talk about policies and practice within the criminal justice system in England and Wales, which classify and treat suspects and defendants in criminal trials on the basis of their gender identity, rather than their sex. The reason I'm focusing on England and Wales is because law and policy in other parts of the UK are different in some ways. I'll focus particularly on the practices of the police, the Crown Prosecution Service who bring prosecutions on behalf of the state in England and Wales and the courts. In relation to males who are alleged to have committed or have been found guilty of committing sexual or violent offences and who identify as transgender. I don't have the time today to talk about prison service policy which also treats offenders on the basis of their self-defined gender identity now and houses some trans identifying males in women's prisons. Um, That is also a very important part of what is happening in the criminal justice system now in England and Wales. Many police services now record suspects and convicted offenders on the basis of their self-defined gender identity rather than their sex. The Crown Prosecution Service has a national policy of recording suspects and defendants on the basis of gender identity and of referring to them using their preferred pronouns in court when they're prosecuting. Guidance for judges on the treatment of witnesses at court, which is contained in a book called the Equal Treatment Bench Book or the Bench Book, generally adopts the same approach. It's published by the Judicial College, which carries out training for judges on behalf of the Lord Chief Justice, who's the leading judge in this jurisdiction. I'm going to start by talking about the Bench Book because it was amended in December 2012 in a way which takes account of some of the criticisms that were made of earlier versions by gender critical feminists and by lawyers. And then I'll talk about the ways in which these positive amendments are undermined by other criminal justice practices. And the amendments relate to the compulsion on witnesses in criminal trials and in, also in civil uh, hearings as well to use the preferred pronouns of trans identifying defendants or others involved in the proceedings. These are excerpts from previous versions of the bench book. The one published in March 2020 said, showing respect for a person's gender identity includes using appropriate terms of address, Mr, Mrs, Miss, pronouns, and possessives. Non-binary people may prefer to be referred to in gender neutral terms, e.g. Mux, they, and their. And whilst gender neutral terminology is not yet mainstream, this should be accommodated wherever possible. When I first read this, I was amazed that this was in guidance for judges, especially the part about non-binary and calling people mooks in court. And I assumed, and I think it's probably the case that this was not written by judges, it was written by a trans lobby group. Um, That was toned down in the next edition to some extent which said it's important to respect a person's gender identity by using appropriate terms of address, names and pronouns. Everyone is entitled to respect for their gender identity, private life and personal dignity. Some judges interpreted the guidance to mean that they had to try to compel all witnesses to use the preferred pronouns of trans identified males who were defendants who were parties in proceedings in other contexts and that had particularly serious implications for witnesses who were giving evidence about their experiences of physical and sexual violence. Previous versions of the bench book didn't address the impact on these witnesses of being required to describe a defendant in criminal proceedings or an alleged perpetrator of domestic abuse in family proceedings in ways which admitted amounted to a denial of their own perceptions of reality. This account of being instructed by a judge to use the defendant's preferred pronouns was given by M- Maria McLaughlin, who was assaulted in 2017 by a group of trans activists. One of her attackers, Tara Wolf, who was the only one who was prosecuted, who self-defined as trans, was convicted of assault by beating in April 2018. At court, the judge insisted that Maria should use Wolfe's preferred pronouns and refer to him as either she or the defendant. And she said about that, my experience of court was much worse than the assault. I was asked, as a matter of courtesy, to refer to my assailant as either she or the defendant. I've never been able to think of any of my assailants as women because at the time of the assault, they all looked and behaved very much like men. And I had no idea any of them identified as women. I tried to refer to him as the defendant, but using a a noun instead of a pronoun is an unnatural way to speak. It was while I was having to relive the assault and answer questions about it while watching it on video that I skipped back to using he and under rebuke from the judge. I responded that I thought of the defendant who is male as a male. The judge never explained why I was expected to be courteous to the person who had assaulted me or why I wasn't allowed to narrate what has happened from my own perspective, given that I was under oath. Since Maria's case, and also since the decision in the lower courts in the case of Forstatter and CGT, which I'll talk about a bit later, in which the judge relied on the bench book almost as if it were law and not simply guidance. There's been increasing criticism of the bench book, both by feminists and by um, gender critical lawyers. Most criticisms are related to broadly four areas. Firstly, the compulsion in relation to the use of preferred pronouns and modes of address of trans identifying parties in court proceedings. Secondly, the adoption of the the tenets of gender identity ideology as if it were fact, or as if they were facts. Thirdly, the implementation of self-definition of gender identity in court proceedings, despite the fact that self-definition of gender identity is not law in this jurisdiction. Um, Somebody cannot legally change sex in this jurisdiction by self-definition only. And fourth, the lack of transparency about who contributes to the bench book. Um, In August 2021, a group of practicing lawyers and legal academics wrote to the Lord Chief Justice, expressing concerns about the previous versions of the bench book. The Lord Chief Justice passed our letter onto the bench book's editorial panel for consideration, which we were very surprised about at the time. And the revised version of the Bench Book has taken on board some of the comments we made and some of the criticisms that we raised in our letter, particularly in relation to the treatment at court of witnesses giving evidence about their experiences of sexual violence and domestic abuse. And in December 2021, a new revised edition of the Bench Book was issued, which included significant amendments in relation to those witnesses. The revised bench book recognises for the first time that witnesses have a right to refer to trans identifying people using pronouns, which align with their sex, at least in some circumstances, and acknowledges that there may be circumstances where this is required by the interest of justice, which is a major step forward. This is the This is from the revised guidance, and it says there may be situations where the rights of a witness to refer to a trans person by pronouns matching their gender assigned at birth or to otherwise reveal a person's trans status clash with the trans person's rights to privacy. It's important to identify such potential difficulties in advance, preferably at a case management stage. That's a meeting that takes place before the hearing itself to sort out issues like this, but otherwise at the outset is the hearing. A decision would then have to be made regarding how to proceed, bearing in mind factors such as why the witness is unwilling or unable to give evidence in a way which maintains the trans person's privacy, For example, a victim of domestic abuse or sexual violence at the hands of a trans person may understandably describe the alleged perpetrator and use pronouns consistent with their gender assigned at birth, because that is in accordance with the victim's experience and perceptions of the events. Artificial steps such as requiring a victim to modify his or her language to disguise this risks interfering with his or her ability to give evidence of a traumatic event. There will be occasions when, after these and other relevant factors have been considered, the interests of justice require that a witness or party may refer to the trans person using their former pronouns or name. So this amendment should mean that complainants giving evidence in trials for rape or other sexual offenses will not be compelled to call male defendants she, and that women giving evidence in family proceedings about their experiences of domestic abuse will not be compelled to call their former male partners or de- describe their former male partners as if they were a woman. Um, and the fact that the amendment uses the language of rights is significant, although it's not fully a right because the court still has to agree to it. It's not something someone will be permitted to do automatically to use sex-based pronouns and modes of address instead of those of the person's so-called gender identity. So while this is an important step forward, many of the problems raised by the Bench Book's general guidance about the use of preferred pronouns are not addressed in the new version. In practice, practice, witnesses' ability to exercise their right to use pronouns which align with the sex of trans-identified parties in proceedings will be limited by the fact that the guidance is likely to be interpreted to mean that the judge, the lawyers representing all the parties in the proceedings and possibly the other witnesses should use preferred pronouns based on self-defined gender identity and the guidance doesn't discuss the implications for a witness of calling a trans-identified male, he in court, while everyone else who speaks in the courtroom refers to him as she. Where this happens, it's likely to confuse and unnerve the witness who may feel pressurized to use preferred pronouns themselves. And that experience is likely to be compounded and be particularly confusing and distressing for child witnesses. And witnesses with learning disability who won't understand the concept of gender identity necessarily and how it differs from sex. In criminal proceedings this problem is likely to be compounded in cases where witnesses have already experienced the local police service and the Crown Prosecution Service referring to trans identified defendants according to their gender identity rather than their sex. Current police guidance states that where there is doubt as to whether a person should be treated as male or female, that person should be asked to indicate their preference and treated in accordance with that preference, except where there are grounds to doubt that the expressed preference accurately reflects the person's predominant lifestyle. So if the police discover that a man who says he's a woman and wants to be called she has not in the recent past been living as a woman as they would see it which means wearing female clothing using a female name using female pronouns and so on they might decide that the express preference is not a genuine one and it's just for the purposes of the investigation and not use the preferred pronouns and, and so on when recording their identity but other than that they are supposed expected to record them as she, if they ask to be recorded as she, and that's not just for the initial recording, that that recording will continue if they are convicted. Um, That's from Police Guidance and Codes of Practice, and this is um, from research carried out by the Gender Critical Campaigning Group Fair Play for Women, which they published in 2021. They sent freedom of information requests to all the police services in England and Wales. That's a request which they're obliged to respond to, asking them about their policy. Not all of the police services responded. 16 services stated that they recorded the sex of suspects and convicted offenders on the basis of their self-identified gender. Of these, 16 made an, of these 16, one made an exception where the suspect was charged with rape, in which case they would record them as male. In this jurisdiction, rape is an offence which can only be committed by a male because it involves a penetration of another person with the penis without their consent. So it cannot be committed by anyone but a male. But nevertheless, eight services is confirmed in answer to a specific question relating to the offense of rape, that they would record the sex of a rape suspect who identifies as transgender as female. Asked whether they would also make a separate record of the fact that the suspect was transgender for data collection purposes. Most of them said they wouldn't do so unless the suspect was thought to be a victim of a hate crime as a result of their trans status. So that's the police are the first point of reporting an offence. They are using pronouns and recording information based on gender identity, and so are the Crown Prosecution Service. Their national trans equality statement says, prosecutors should address trans victims witnesses and defendants according to their affirmed gender and name, using that gender and related pronouns in all documentation and in the courtroom. And this is an example of the use of preferred pronouns in the courtroom. In 2018, Karen White, a trans-identifying male, was convicted of two rapes and of other sexual offences against women. And the prosecutor at White's trial was reported in the press as referring to White in the following way. Her penis was erect and sticking out of the top of her trousers. And this is now becoming standard practice in the courtroom. When prosecution and defense lawyers describe males in this way in court, they're effectively denying the reality of witnesses who've experienced male violence and undermining their ability to accurately describe their experiences at court. And that remains a problem despite the amendments to the bench book. As if the prosecutor and the defense, which the defense will certainly be talking like this, question a witness using the preferred pronouns of the trans-identifying defendant, it's going to be very difficult for them to maintain the use of he and his. Um, In addition, the revised version of the bench book continues to use language founded in gender identity ideology, such as gender assigned at birth, birth, as you will have seen from the quotations. Their introduction of self-definition of gender identity happened without public consultation and the process by which the bench book guidance is developed is not open to public scrutiny. The Judicial College have refused to disclose who is involved in it. The same is true of the introduction of self-declaration direct of gender identity by the police and the CPS. Um, it's not the law. Um, It hasn't been introduced into the criminal justice system by law, it's been introduced by a process of policy capture. Um, So as I said, the judicial college has refused to say who's involved in the production of the bench book. The fact that the panel did consider our letter to the Lord Chief Justice and did amend the bench book to take account of some of its concerns is encouraging, it's an encouraging sign of an increasing openness to a different, a wider range of opinion. And that I think is because of the success recently of gender critical campaigns in England and Wales, and also the rest of the UK. And also as the result of cases, such as that of Stata and CGD, which on appeal um, led to a decision that gender critical beliefs are protected under the Equality Act, which is a very significant decision for our ability to continue to campaign against gender identity ideology. I think a lot of those the cases that have taken place as well as the campaigning have changed public discourse around the conflict between women's sex-based rights and gender identity ideology, and that some important gains have been made But there's still a very long way to go before the policy capture of criminal justice agencies can be undone so that male suspects, defendants and offenders are recorded and described according to their sex and treated according to their sex, for example, in prison, and not according to their claimed gender identity. So now we're
0: going to move to... um... Two eco-feminists from Chile, Carolina arguto Flores and Costanza Riquelme Borquez. Um, thank you so much, Costanza and Carolina. So Carolina is 33 years old. She's got a 15 year old son, lives in a rural area of Central Valley of Chile, which bases its economy on peasant agriculture and in the last 30 years on patriarchal agro extractivism, capitalist, cap- form of capitalism, she uh, Carolina is an eco feminist activist for women's rights based on sex, particularly peasant women, the right to nutrition and food and the right to food sovereignty. She works independently as a nutritionist and has a master's degree in human nutrition. Now, Constanza is 30 years old and an agronomist by profession. she's a teacher and facilitator in agroecology for peasant farmers. And she travels from the north to central zone of Chile She writes in ecofeminas criticas and is active in food sovereignty movements because she wants to exercise her right to work and care for the land.
2: We are going to read our talk and this is an ecofeminist look at the rights based on the sex of passengers and women in Chile. Uh, How did we come to be concerned about the threat of erasure of women? Uh, At Ecofeminist Criticas, we are a couple of friends interested interested in the study and practice of critical ecofeminism. Uh, We meet through social media networks at the beginning of a pandemic, and we began to share our readings and analysis on our ecology and ecofeminism. Meanwhile, thanks to social networks, we have been more or less aware of the censorship Censorship uh, that radical feminists are receiving around the world and about the legal erasure of women. So we are very happy and grateful to be able to share with you today about our little experience. And we would like to have some uh, questions, um, comments. We will be very happy uh, to have uh, this. we have long been linked to movements against agrochemicals, transgenic, uh, transgenics, and agribusiness in general, and we are promoter, so we are promoters of agroecology and food sovereignty in our territories, which complements our ecofeminist position. Uh, Constanza lives in an urban area and me, Carolina, in a rural area and we both share great concern about the advance of uh, capitalist devastation and as ecofeminists, we understand that this is part of the ecocidal and femicidal masculine system. To do this, together with another feminist collective uh, from rural, another rural area from Chile called Florida Autoconvocadas, we prepare a popular initiative for a constitutional norm in which we propose seven articles on the rights of rural girls and women to be in sharing in the new constitution in Chile. Uh, this initiative uh, should have had uh, 5,000 uh, signatures, but it only reached uh, 1,000. Which is why the Conventional Constituent, called uh, Francisca Arauna, uh, who represents uh, the district where where I live, uh, which is uh, very rural, uh, she has presented uh, this initiative to the Convention. Uh, This means that uh, the rights of rural girls and women will soon be part of the constitutional debate. And we have made this. uh, this proportion, uh, um, based on the international declarations of uh, rights of women based on sex. So the truth is that we don't we don't have much hope that these articles will be approved, but we hope to continue making them known to girls and women in rural areas. Uh, since the current constitution should safeguard compliance with international treaties, such as the Convention for the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, which was ratified by Chile in the 2019. Uh, But why it is necessary to talk about the specific rights of rural girls and women, uh, this is the objective of this little talk talk we have prepared for you. And we hope it will be of interest to other women who are carrying out similar struggle.
3: Uh, So I give the word to my uh, friend Constanza. My worry about uh, child and woman rights began in 2013, when I got I got uh, poisoned Uh, on my first internship working on a farm with um, uh, um, agrochemicals uh, when I began to question the abusive application for agrochemicals. Um, I realized uh, this effect, women unequally, uh, especially uh, once in their uh, reproductive cycles. They can cause abortions, uh, premature births, uh, birth, uh, birth defects, and well as other alternatives in their growth. In so t- 2016, while I carried out judicial um, uh, process uh, against and universe classmate for sexual violence. I figured out um, Chauvinist historical traditions that involved uh, sexual um, workers, students, uh, ex students, staff members, uh, and academics from um, the agronomy faculty at PUCD. This tradition um, consisted in organizing. Organizations, uh, parties in which they um, hired women as sexual workers. Uh, The top of the iceberg of these traditions is the usual uh, treatment against women at the university. Reification of women, chauvinist jokes, stalking sexual violence. And a score of women' abilities on the agricultural uh, sector are just a few examples. Um, both experience as well um, as the commemoration of the 50 years since the Chilean agricultural reform uh, motivated uh, me to uh, dig into uh, the agricultural history and ecofeminism. From the sexual difference to do a rural challenge, epistemological uh, reconstitution in order to educate from uh, for and with one. Everything uh, I mentioned before let um, embrace abolitionist feminist science. I realized that the real objective of feminist. Is not equality among women and men, but woman liberation from uh, masculine oppressions. Continuing with the
2: how we may, uh, we came to to sign this um, declaration, international declaration, I have to say that um, uh, well, uh, I live in a rural area, so we are. I have not been in very touch with uh, uh, urban feminism. So my touch with feminism was uh, through lecture of uh, uh, the second sex. So when I knew, I know that the feminists come from uh, Santiago, de Chile, which is the capital of Chile, um, the things are very different because in the rural areas, we feel very much strongly the, the, the heavy of uh, gender, but that doesn't occur in maybe in in urban areas because in rural areas the the women are um, uh, under a big operation by a maternity and a lot of kids. So uh, the natality in rural areas is three times higher than in urban areas in Chile. So um, as we know uh, our history of from our grandmothers, for example, that uh, they live uh, a very hard life. So uh, for us, it's very very clear what is depression. So it's very easy to uh, uh, to to turn feminist, But in rural and urban areas, maybe this is more difficult because uh, uh, there are a lot of uh, sexual neoliberalism <laughs> very present in Chile with the lobby of prostitution um, inside the feminism. Um, so I believe that my concern for the rights of peasant girls and women emerges from several points. Among, the, among them is knowing the history of my grandmothers, as I said, who had to work uh, in the employer systems of the large states that existed in Chile until the 70s, and the other, on the other hand, the feminist uh, awakening of uh, 2018, uh, which brought my closer to reading the second sex, which allowed me to cultivate a critical view of the rapid neoliberal turn in the women's movement in Chile. Therefore, uh, the, the same year, uh, they began to call me TERF, my friends, some of my friends for saying that depression that women experience is based on sex and not on gender, and that before therefore trans, trans women are not part of feminist movement. This reaction took me by surprise because up to the point, I was not aware of this feminist uh, fight. Uh, therefore, I began to get information on the inter- internet, and that is how I met radical collectives on social networks. And thanks to them, I took some readings about radical feminism in parallel to my studies on ecofeminism with Constanza, with whom I also met through social network. It was been really shocking for us to realize the danger that transgenderism brings to the daily lives of all women. Uh, and added to this, we believe that the sexual subordination of women is that has historically allowed maintaining private ownerships of the land and concentrated in the hands of uh, men, which today is part of the concerns we have as ecologists, ecologists women uh, who see the advance of green capitalism embodied by agribusiness and mining in our territories. We are our, our-
3: uh, abolitionists because we believe on the total uh, liberation of women that to say a general pretty- Uh, Prostitution, uh, pornography, uh, reproductive exploitation, and any form of oppressions uh, based on our sex must be eradicated. This is a Titanic uh, tax which uh, will last our whole lives. But them are uh, worth it, and we as women don't um, deserve a warm movement um, nor servile uh, to the patriarchy and its institution from our uh, ecofeminist point of view uh, did extend to any form of operations and exploitation uh, of uh, nature such um, as the privatization of land, um, water, and all of biodiversity, as we recognize ourselves as part a part of the biosphere. And apir uh, to the liberation of women is inherently like it um, to the territories uh, we need and our ways of living. We are uh, convinced the feminists must um, abandon, uh, to anthropocentric imposed, be the colonial and post colonial patriarchy uh, root with the ancestral. And uh, at the same time, prioritizing women and political subjects. Uh, otherwise, or agenda uh, will continue dealing uh, among other many social movements. Uh, women are suffering today. Um, however, however uh, this emerging feminist moment, moment uh, in Chile is a representative of media be some coordinating uh, committees that are openly pro uh, transgender uh, and procuring. In fact, uh, the artist collective known as Las Tesis, a creator of the worldwide now, some called Un violador en tu camino, published um, a manifest um, in uh, 20, uh, 2021 that uh, replaced feminist uh, conceptualizations uh, for others that belong uh, to the queer theory. Uh, we believe uh, universities also have had a huge responsibility on the neoliberal turn of feminists in Chile. So why is critical ecofeminism necessary for us? Uh,
2: Ecofeminism is a feminist movement and current uh, that emerged in the 70s that sees a connection between the exploitation and degradation of nature and the subordination and oppression of women. Uh, That is is a theory and praxis of feminism and environmentalism. Uh, And this is reflected in the majority participation of women in the defense of the land against patriarchal extractivist devastation, a situation that is repeated throughout the world. world. Some well-known activists has been Berta Casares, Wangari Matai, and currently Vandana Chiva, Alicia Puleo, among many others. Uh, Like, Ecologists, ecofeminism is a materialistic, critical and complex thought, uh, similar to the metabolic relationships that occur within ecosystems or in an agroecological language, a polyculture of women's thought. As we know, uh, the extractivism that fools the entropic entropic capitalist economy has led to an existential crisis for our species. Ecofeminism feminism interprets this reality uh, to transform it, and just as it understands gender as oppression for women, the feminization of the herd as mother is the ideology that allows the development of an ecocidal, androcentric culture. Our enti- entire struggle for survival is the product of the andro-anthropocentrism, of Western culture that has colonized the species, oppressed and exploited the body of women and on the earth. Our territories have been invaded by agro-extractivism for centuries and more recently in a more extensive way, thanks to the Green Revolution of the 60s and 70s. While in uh, 20 and 22, we faced the Green Reformism of capitalism, camouflage as uh, uh, sustainability, modern cooperatives, uh, circular economy, green credits, carbon neutrality, etc. Uh, this alarms and worries us. So we believe it is necessary to build a collective and emancipatory political ethic and practice and that is up to the times, and that is capable of denouncing and protecting us. Uh, from the new threats to bio- biodiversity and local agro system, uh, because they grant us fr- uh, food uh, sovereignty. Uh, so we um, believe that the exploitation of her is inseparable from the exploitation of women, and that is why we express the need, the need uh, to sow and nurture a polyculture of thought to rebuild a movement uh, for the liberation of women and herd. The
3: greatest approach of woman with uh, nature uh, was early um, analyzed uh, by uh, Simone de Beauvoir, who understood uh, this uh, supposedly essential, rel- essential relationship as a form of uh, legit- legitimation of the masculine control. It's uh, naturalized uh, to see woman. As a frail, obedient, and essentially um, as caretakers caract- um, because of our sexual difference, as it feminists and nature, as Mother Earth, which uh, infinite love or research never ends. And this vision uh, has been uh, developed. By fil- a philosopher and occidental uh, uh, scientists, uh, that uh, strength uh, sent uh, a science uh, and ten- technological uh, development intended to invade. supposedly mechanical uh, f- functionment uh, of nature, with um, the only intention. Of extract all is wealth, uh, meaning old extraction, industrial, uh, agriculture, uh, etc. One of the adventures um, of the economist uh, theories uh, is that is contributed um, by a materialist school of thought uh, that is based on analysis of the root of the problem that affects life of women <laughs> and <laughs> nature uh, as the patriarchy, colonialists and capitalism are all dominant systems that uh, were born uh, during the historical appropriation, be part of men um, that belong to sexual minorities and the reproductive um, uh, capability of women. Um, this is a vital point to criticize the neoliberal and postmodern uh, conceptualization of new uh, genre uh, theories eman- emanated, uh, emanated uh, from the academic, uh, which uh, simply omits the analysis of sexual um, here. Um, hierarchy uh, that uh, beneath uh, men. Uh, we positioned ourselves on a critical uh, side of the Latin American eco-feminist that can uh, seek to talk uh, with other aspects of the fight of women, such uh, as the communitarian and rural feminists, uh, the radical and autonomous feminists, anti-racist feminists, and feminists of sexual minorities. Uh, Moreover, uh, agroecology also responds to a global fight uh, that is key uh, for women to restablish the autonomy of our body land territory.
2: Why we we worry about gender because uh, climate change uh, does not affect women and men equally. Uh, it is estimated that in the coming decades, uh, the effect of climate change will constitute the major threat uh, to the lives and well-being of billions of people. Effects on human health can be relatively direct through phenomena such as heat waves, floods, and storms, or indirectly by modifying the behavior of infectious diseases altering agricultural ecosystem, migrations to the droughts, etc. However, many of the risks of the climate change bring us very according to gender. Globally, disaster such as drought, floods and storms claims the life for more women than men, especially the youngest. But this apparent greater vulnerability of women is not only given by, by our biological differences, but also by the social roles and responsibility uh, assigned to women to women, uh, gender, which is gender. Uh, growing food insecurity in Latin America and Chile uh, affects mainly to uh, rural areas and mainly to women. So, how do sex and gender interact? Uh, from an ecofeminist perspective, it is necessary to know sexual differences. For example, to monitor the growth, development, and body composition of girls and women and of prevalent diseases such, such as diabetes and obesity. Others link it uh, to sex such as uh, breast cancer and endometriosis, which are very related to Um, to the contamination, or uh, linked to the gender, such as eating behavior disorders. There to the definition of the World Health Organization that defines sex as the biological and physiological characteristics of women and men, while gender are the socially constructed norms, functions, and relationships, and, and that each society considers proper to men, masculinity, or women femininity. Genders determines uh, what is expected, allowed, and valued in a woman or a man in a given context. From an eco-feminist perspective, it, it is necessary to recognize that sexual hierarchy built by gender in our female sex body uh, is built uh, on our female sex body. As Margarita Pisano thought femininity uh, femininity is not an autonomous space with possibilities of equality, self-management magne- or independence. Independence. It is a symbolic and value construction designed by masculinity and contained in it as an integral part. Uh, so we do not uh, uh, believe in gender in any way.
3: From the employer's latifundium uh, to the global latifundium, uh, Ownership and exploitation of the earth. According to the from one thousand nine hundred ninety-seven to the thousand seventh um, agricultural census in Chile, seventy-five uh, percent of small owners uh, own less than four um, percent uh, of the land. Uh, while the richest 1.5% uh, on uh, 74% of, land, of the land. Uh, the richest 0.5% uh, on um, 17% of the land average uh, 15,000 hectare, hectares eight property. In relation uh, to women and land ownership, in Chile, we own only 9% of the national surface. Um, this, uh, this debt uh, indicate uh, that there is a structural condition of unequal uh, uh, land uh, tenure, uh, both in relation um, to the number of farms and the area in which they are located. Uh, this put a food, uh, food uh, soaring. Uh, Sovereignity uh, at Serious risks, as well as the Street of Fire products uh, of transgenics transgenic, uh, monocultures. We're now
0: going to go to our final speaker, who is Helen Pringle. Helen Pringle lives and she's from Australia. She lives and works in Sydney, Australia. She's an associate professor at the University of New South Wales. She teaches women's rights, justice, and justice, political theory, Australian politics, and international law. She co founded the Nordic Model Information Network, a global research network supporting the abolition of the prostitution system. Uh, Helen Pringle says she says she owes what she is to the women of her family, including her great grandmother, Agnes McGregor, love a fearless Glasgow suffragette.
4: Um, first, I'm speaking from Coogee, which is a suburb of Sydney in Australia, where I live. And so I first acknowledge that Coogee is built and this land is built on the unceded um, land of the of the Bidigal and Gadigal peoples of the Eora nation um, of this area. And I also recognise the particular damage done to Indigenous women, um, the specific damages done to Indigenous women. Um, which is still largely unacknowledged and unexplored. That sense of place um, sets the background for my talk, which revolves around McIver's ladies' baths. That's its official name of the women's pool. Um, I'm just going to call it McIver's or the women's pool, but its official name is McIver's Ladies' Baths. Um, It's just down the road from where I live. It's an open-air sanctuary of great beauty with an ocean pool um, nestled in the rocks with small changing rooms all under the care of women custodians. If you go to Google Images and just Google um, McIver's or the women's pool in Sydney, you'll you'll find some beautiful pictures of it. One thing that um, strikes me about the pictures of the pool um, when I was uh, finishing this presentation, was that a lot of the pictures are taken from above, as if they're looking down on the women, and there very few of the pictures are of the women's whatever that how, whatever that would be of the of, from the from the point of view of the women using the bars themselves. Um, there's ways to do that, but um, mostly the pictures are taken from above as if they're with a long lens and spying on women. In Australia, it's free to use the ocean beaches and to swim in the sea, but using MacIvers will cost you $2.50 um, per adult person. Um, but I don't think women and children have ever been refused entry to the pool. The coin is collected on a, an, on, a, on, a on an honours basis in a tin placed on the stairs leading down to the pool. Only women and preteen boys are now permitted in the sanctuary and there's a sign to say that on the outside. It's been like that for at least 70 years and the pool um, uh, in its present form has been there for 100 years. To honour that anniversary or that centenary, um, Lynn Spender, who's a well-known Australian feminist, put together a book of short essays by women on their experiences at MacIvers and of MacIvers. It's now published by the leading feminist press, Spinifex Press and our friends Renata Klein and Sue Hawthorne. I'm mentioning this because the book is actually part of my story this evening. The, the book is now published by the leading feminist press, vinifex Press, and I'm mentioning that, as I said, because the book is actually part of the talk, the story. The book was to be originally published by a university press in Sydney, um, but given recent, um, uh, which which was on the basis that given recent controversy over the women's only um, policy of the pool, Lynn Spender, the editor, also commissioned a, an essay for the book by a trans writer and then from me via Renata. On the eve of publication, the press withdrew from the project because it was too controversial. We don't know. I don't know any more than that, and that's a story somebody else can tell. Spinifex Press stepped in, and given that the trans writer had also withdrawn because Spinifex, um, uh is of course transphobic and that's an in inverted commas and with a sarcasm button another trans writer was commissioned who then also withdrew at the editing stage um, i'm very pleased that my essay remained in the book unbalanced as the book is and as of course unbalanced as my um, essay is and we had a great book launch on the rocks near macaver earlier this year the question that troubled me as I wrote my essay for the book was how to provide a basis on which we could think through the women-only policy of the baths, the women's pool, in a way, to think through it in a way that would be persuasive to other women who didn't quite know what was at stake or always know what was at stake. And I'm not meaning to be condescending there, but I'm just um, I'm just referring to uh, the sense that um, a lot of women um, for example, will say at first hand that what's the matter with having trans trans people in the pool, and um, without a sense of the of the debates and conflicts and discussion that has gone on, particularly in England. Um, but the other thing is to be persuasive to the authorities and to the law, so that the women's only status of the pool is regulated by the um, is regulated under various anti-discrimination um, uh, laws and regulations in, in Australia and in um, New South Wales in particular. And the present situation is something that's highly contentious and it's actually quite um, difficult to work out what the exact position is at the moment. Um, so so i just start by putting this in the context of, of what I wanted to, of the, the broader context of what troubled me. Um, and in the book, also in the essay, in the book also, I start by talking about um, traveling long distances with my family in Australia on the, in in the car on car journeys. As a young girl, we there was always the necessity. I had a large family; there were a lot of kids in that car. Um, there was always a necessity to stop um, at every opportunity at a rest area in Australia um, or along the along the road in order to. Um, uh, as, as my parents would ask us, are you comfortable or do you need to go? And we knew what that meant was that we needed to, um, to go to the toilet. We would always be asked to be careful by my parents, um, although my brothers were never asked or never instructed to be careful. When we did go to the public toilets at rest areas, the reason for my parents' concern became clear. It was a caution about what I've come to understand in terms of swinging dicks. And I one stage contemplated calling this essay swinging dicks or under the sign of the dicks um, on the side of the dick on the wall of the toilets in the, in the rest area, there was always almost always a drawing of a disembodied semi-erect penis and, um, and testicles with droplets from one, from one end. The drawings usually didn't come with an explanation and little readers like myself were, were left to work out for themselves the meaning. On a few occasions going to a public toilet, our, um, our interpretations were aided by a man's head popping up over the top or rolling under the un- under the bottom of the door. I found this terrifying, um, terrifying and troubling, even though in my case, at least, nothing else ever followed such toilet incidents of, of voyeurism elsewhere. Yes, but not, not following these incidents. I experienced what I now understand as a form of scopic terror, that the, the, the terror of being looked at in certain circumstances. I was terrified by being the subject of the look of an invisible voyeur or partly invisible voyeur symbolised in the, in the dick drawing or sometimes by a briefly visible voyeur in person. For me, the dick drawing came to be like the signature of a tomcat spraying its territorial domain in the women's toilet. That it wasn't our space anymore. It was meant to make one of the things that it was meant to do was to make that clear. It was also the sign to all girls, whoever they were, who chanced to go into that toilet, that we were never free from being looked at in our more vulnerable moments when we sought a degree of seclusion. Our space was never truly ours. Even in territory marked female or ladies, clearly marked female or ladies, we ventured there on men's terms, on their forbearance that could be revoked at their will. Girls became women under the sign of the dick. Even where the, the, they say whether the spaces were clearly marked as our own. I figured out that such signs were placed on and, spaces and in spaces where women were exposed in some way. Although, as I said, now I understand how it was that those signs, those signs themselves exposed us, the little drawing on the wall exposed us, and warned us in a very threatening way that we were always watched by swinging dicks. And I use the term swinging dicks. This is a term that some senior members of the Australian Parliament, including the present Prime Minister, are reputed to call each other. And they call each other that not as a form of criticism, but as a term of glory. This is a great thing to be part of the club of swinging dicks in that way. There are are few places of shelter or seclusion for women to gather from this kind of scopic, this collective scopic terror. And I'll just explain why I use the term terror a little bit later on. But what I'd like to, to kind of say is that our world is truly a man's world. Our space is truly a man's world. One of we don't have a place of our own, a secure place of our own. But one of the places in which we do have some degree of sanctuary is Macaya's baths. But it's not merely a bath or a pool. Even though when we are um, when we are challenged about the pool, people often say that usual thing of we just want to swim, we just want to pee. People don't just Want to pee. They don't just want to swim. Women don't want to just swim in the pool. Macaivers is not merely a bath or a pool, although swimming is, is one of the purposes of that little clearing on the cliff. But the space of Makivas is also rocks and a patch of grass, more a compound, if you like. For women, Makivas is a shelter not only from the wearying evaluation that it's a constant reminder of our bodily flaws. And here you might remember that terrible um, weight loss advertisement on the London Tube in 2015. Are you beach body ready? That everybody remembers. But in in MacIvers, you're free from just being stared at, from being poured at by the eyes of strangers as well as by those of familiars. Um, The writer Candy James has written of the unsettling effect on girls, particularly young girls, of experiencing yourself as an object that is stared at. Um, I would also put it in terms of being beholden. You know, we often talk about behold as a a metaphor of sight, but that notion of being beholden, being captured, um, and of measures and, and of being stared at like an object. And she writes also of the measures that girls take in such circumstances to make themselves unavailable, even invisible to being looked at. For example, they don't go to the beaches or pools at all. The Australian beach for many young girls is less a place for peaceful enjoyment of swimming, I just want to swim, and other leisure activities and more like a battleground, a field of gazes on which are fought out questions of our composure as women and our freedom as a sex. It's no coincidence, I think, that the penis is sometimes or um, often portrayed or implied in art and literature as an organ of sight um, as well as other things the bathing scene in ingres's turkish bath for example is accessible to its viewer from the position of a voyeur looking in on it through a round people turkish bath if you want to google it if you haven't seen it is a round around painting of um uh looking in on women in in a turkish bath with the men with the women entirely unaware of that person who is doing that the artist it would become like a peep show um Women as a peep show, the penis, which is popularly known as dicks in the plural, is at the very signature of male scopic power, with the authority and the title to take visual possession of the scene, and thereby to assert domination over all that it surveys. Even the poorest of men has this scopic privilege, which reflects and protects his seemingly insatiable hunger to look. There are other non-privileges and position and and. Um, Disadvantages and so forth that even the poorest man has as well. But um, in this case, this is one of the, the privileges which attaches to manhood, having a penis and this hunger to look and to look at us such, you know, such strange creatures as we are, the creatures without dicks. You find this motive and why I use the term terror here is because this is not just about going to the toilet or a rest area or baths. It's also common obviously is an animating force of pornography of the pornography industry in particular and it's also a feature of the prostitution system um, often when we talk about prostitution we talk about the use the sexual use of women in terms of sexual intercourse but um, one of the one of the really defining features of the prostitution system is the prostitution lineup when women are lined up and this is something that I've um, doing work on with Simone watson uh where women are lined up um, in order to be um chosen uh that special privilege of being chosen to be fucked maciver's so in terms of maciver's Baths, it's been managed since 1922 um by the Randwick and coogee um swimming uh sorry Randwick and coogee ladies Amateurs swimming club um for the Randwick local council which leases the grant the land from the crown the crown is the is the kind of I don't know what you'd call it, but land land is, um, uh, certain land in Australia is is referred to as as, um, that of the Crown. Paradoxically, the first serious threat to the seclusion of MacIver's pool came after the passing of the New South Wales Anti Discrimination Act in 1977, um, not before. The Anti Discrimination Act of 1977 provides redress for discriminatory acts in various contexts and supports equal opportunity across a variety of grounds, including sex. In um, December, 1992, a resident of Coogee called Leon Walk wrote to the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Board claiming that he and others like him were discriminated against on the basis of sex because MacIver's bars were inaccessible to him. He he wrote that, this is Leon speaking, at Coogee beach, there's a seawater swimming pool fenced off with a sign at the entrance stating ladies and children's pool. And he asked, this is still Leon, is this permissible? If it is permissible, why? Should it not be permissible? What is necessary to have this sign removed? So actually it was the sign that was the centre of his, of his complaint. Um, he didn't. There's no sense that he ever wanted to swim there, um, just to swim. He wanted the sign removed, which indicated that access was um, forbidden to him. Um, that worked in in uh, in the favour of those campaigning and uh, of defending the pool, but it was also you, it's also sort of very telling, I think, that he wanted to remove, to remove the sign, even if he would never use the pool. He wanted entitlement to access, that his free access to women's bodies, um, even just looking, no, look, just looking, um, should not be uh, should not be um, there shouldn't be obstacles to that. MacIver's policy of excluding men was followed um, and upheld in terms of largely unspoken undertakings and mutual understandings as a toilets in Australia, as a public toilets in Australia. Um, in other words, there's no, there was no law that said MacIver's is for women only. It was largely just um, people respected that through their undertakings and their understandings. Mr. Leon Mogg sought to clarify the status of that understanding by saying that this understanding was unlawful and that it fostered inequality more generally. In soon uh, about a year after, a couple of months rather, after his complaint, Randwick Council passed a unanimous motion that it supported the pool, um, the pools being retained for the exclusive use of women and children under 12. Two years later, in response in 1995, in response to an application made under the special needs programs and activities provision of the Anti-Discrimination Act, the Minister for Local Government granted a permanent exemption from discrimination provisions to the pool. The rationale for this exemption was that the women-only policy formed a measure whose purpose was ensuring equal or improved access to p- persons of a group subjected to unlawful discrimination in regard to facilities, services and opportunities. And the special needs of women in this regard referred to enabling access for women with disabilities or for Muslim women and girls, as well as the privacy, safety and social, sociability needs of women more generally. Such concerns were voiced um, in representations to the minister by women's groups and in surveys conducted of users of the pool. Um, Mr Wogg's complaint, just to finish off on him, uh, was also addressed by the Equal Opportunity Tribunal after conciliation efforts between him and the council faltered. there required by the terms of the Act. In March 1995, the, tribunal, the Equal Opportunity Tribunal, as it was then, found that Mr. Walk's case failed given that what was at issue in its view was not the provision of goods and services which would make it put it in the place of anti-discrimination but rather access to a place so it was um decisive that it was access not a goods or a service that was provided the act didn't cover access in regard to the grounds of gender and sexuality and um it's un- this is one of the, the things which are unclear now how far the exe- the terms of the exemption at that time would, um, would uh, be in place today. The tribunal also expressed the view that Mr. Walts claims were frivolous or vex- vexatious, which is quite right. <laughs> um, it's often there's been some writings about this dispute about access to MacIver's baths and um, which is all of 30 years ago now. Um, one of the writers, I think I don't uh, called Kurt Iverson, who's at Sydney University, wrote that this about the pool is the ways in which some forms of exclusion or protection of seclusion can work not to weaken public solidarity and the assurance of equal justice, but may rather nurture forms of conviviality or in this case, perhaps sorority, sisterhood across other differences um, like age, caste, and status and so forth. So what he said, and I I think this is a valuable point to make, excluding men from the pool was not a simple matter of exclusion but of developing valuable allegiances in society, contacts between people that are part of this public sphere just as much as going to parliament is, for example, and that um, those forms of solidarity are not necessarily discriminatory nor are they hostile to the growth of public participation. So he made out the case for women-only access, not only out of protecting women, their safety, insecurity, et cetera, but also, I think, of the positive sense of enhancing their civic standing. Women, this was not necessarily that something that women um, always talked about. Women who were surveyed about the issue did make frequent mention of MacIvers as a shelter, one that devours fear, whether of their beach bodies being evaluated or the generalised fear of being looked at. For example, Pat Richardson, and I'll just read this passage. It's a. It's. Um, I'm not going to read other passages. Pat Richardson, in a book, talked about going to the pool um, and lying on the Coogee rocks. So here, she wasn't talking about the water itself, but being on the koji rocks. In uh, this was around the time Mr. Mr. Walk made his complaint. She said it was a glorious day, and it. Will be, it is a glorious day um, when you're at the, at the ladies' pool. She said, We ladies sat around like happy sea lions, sunbaked topless, swam unmolested and unstared at. Our stretch marks bothered no one. Our caesareans, our bulges, our cellulite, our pregnancies were all our own. 15 stone mermaids like me, she said, could frolic, unsneered at by fat gutted males with balding pates. In fact, she said, I could feel a poem coming on. I think we can all feel a poem coming on reading that passage. Other women spoke of the question of composure in terms of how the women-only setting of Macaivers permitted them to compose themselves on their own terms in a space of their own. Um, One woman wrote, for example, she said, with just women and small children, it's quiet, peaceful and safe. There are not many places you can go without being subjected to the loud showing off of young men. It's such a small pool that the presence of men would take up the entire space. And other women talked about also about men strutting their bodies. In other words, they like to be looked at. They liked, um, and she talked about men doing that in-your-face sexual thing. They were quite comfortable with being, with being stared at and with being looked at, because of course they are in the possession of the dicks. Um, and other women talked about the habits, the swimming habits of men. Um, like bombing, for example, crash bombing people in the pool and noisy doing laps. Um, one thing that's a little bit that's quite interesting to me also is the is the notion of men making a lot of noise. Their voice is quite different and um, uh, that sort of sense of um, completely different outlook or perspective on the pool. One of the... Um, One of the McIver's custodians noted that it's the only pool in Sydney where you don't have to put up with men. Um, The custodian, however, did mention that men had tried to burn women out of the pool by lighting fires around it, had vandalised the pool and in one case had drilled a hole in the change room wall to peep at the women inside. Um, Not having to put up with men also enabled women to conduct their lives in a different way. It's striking that standard pictures of women swimming in the rock pool portray them as gently floating on their backs rather than doing more stereotypically, typically masculine activities like vigorous laps or bombing. That would be dissonant with the gentleness of the pool and the spaces in which it's set. Um, Lots of the survey survey answers on the pool um, talked about by women, talked about different forms of relating to the water and to each other as made possible by not having to put up with men. Um, without being bumped by men or with, and being able to have a proper swim. Um, the Equal Opportunity Commission, um, the Equal Opportunity Tribune, in his case, noted the connection of such claims with the, the case for special needs provisions in the Acts. It said, as long as women suffer unlawful discrimination, particularly by ways of harassment, sexual harassment, they have a special need to a facility like Macabre's Baths. I'm just going to try and finish up now. Um, I'll just take just a couple more minutes um, I hope I can quickly get there. To bring this up to the present, around 2010, claims of discrimination again began to be made against the pool. In this case, discrimination on the grounds of transgender status. In in December 2010, for example, a person who was described as of strikingly masculine appearance came to the pool area with two female companions who claimed that their friend was in the process, obviously not very far in the process, of hormone therapy. Um, This appearance of the bare chested -chested person caused, who liked to be looked at, his chest to be looked at, caused consternation amongst Muslim girls in the pool who left. And a report was made to the to the lifesavers in 2020. um, The question of discrimination was raised again, but more stridently in response. um, Uh. McIver's claimed that trans women were allowed entry to the space of the pool, but only those who had undergone gender reassignment surgery had their dicks locked off, as Germaine Greer says. So there is now a question about what exactly, who exactly is permitted um, in the space, in this this space, and who is not, and on what terms. In 2020, in response to uh, this controversy about trans, the entry of trans into the pool, the University of Sydney Women's Collective published a statement, which included content warnings for transphobia, suicide, and sexual violence, to condemn the policy of MacIvers as an act of public and violent transphobia, literal violence, and dem- demanded a change in policy as well as a public apology for their for their policy formal policy the statement by the women's collective of the university of sydney claimed that trans women need safe leisure spaces such as the ladies baths more than cisgender women do i'm just going to read that again trans women need safe leisure spaces such as the ladies baths more than cisgender women do because they face a higher risk of gendered violence this post on Facebook by the collective was accompanied by rather bizarre killer correct by rather bizarre selfies of women um, students sitting in empty bathtub tubs a campaign to calling on let to calling on the pool to let them swim was launched again rather oddly that the right to swim was not in dispute it's its access to that particular um, uh, to that particular space um, some of the this idea of swimming um, as the centre of the right to swim or to be able to swim was based, you had a there was a slew of articles which um, sort of invoked the mythic, even magical qualities of water, which it does have, and the benefits of communing with it, or even just looking at it in some cases. However, those questions are not in contention. There's water. There's no end of water in Coogee and along the Sydney coastline, and there are other pools. The Sydney coastline is 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 a public as I said, um, open to the public without cost. There are other pools with rocks and patches of grass and change rooms. The question is whether the policy of women only can can be maintained as it was in 1995, but with the twist that the principle of seclusion or segregation is not disputed, but instead rather whether women have power to decide who women as a collective are and whether that decision has been entirely taken out of their hands. To understand the claims of trans persons, or more precisely, in this case, trans women, um, as they're known, to enter into women-only spaces like MacGyver's is not a simple matter. We need to persuade through um, arguments which take up um, the arguments that are made. We we can't simply assert our position or... I'm afraid we're not going to win. We need to persuade other women and the council in particular, and this means grappling with difficult questions in relation to discrimination, equality, and the public life. In the provision of goods and services, this is my last little bit, in the provision of goods and services, the comparator is a similarly placed non-gendered person. That is, the act in general does not require that Um, We treat a person without regard, without any regard for his or her sex, but rather with regard regard to their equal enjoyment of the world. Um, I think that's key to discrimination, is thinking about are you deprived of your equal enjoyment of the world? It's not a harm in that sense to deprive. It's not a, a deprivation of enjoyment of the world to regulate access to a place. It's not a harm. It's not a, a an obstacle to equal enjoyment of the world to have um, se- separate sex toilets or change rooms, or I would argue a pool. Um, hence, it's just it's it's as it's just sorry, just as it's neither an individual harm or a collective harm to exclude men from MacIvers, as a former case showed. I think we can, we can make a case that it's not a harm to exclude persons with penises. Um, women are entitled to space and time lived out from under the sign of the dick, under our own sign, a life enjoyed in our own way and respect with our own heritage, our customs our mores and traditions, as well as our bodies, of course, as women. The argument is not different in kind, I don't think, from that for excluding men. Men were never checked at the gate, were never asked for panty checks at the gate um, of MacIvers pool. And there's no reason why there should, um, should be a necessity, as we're often mocked for saying that, that it would require that a panty check for, for transit at the pool. We, we, um, the argument is not only in terms of safety, but in my view, even more impor- importantly, in terms of developing the rich history of attachment and loyalty and even love for social relations among women. In the course of the 1995 events around access to MacIvers, the local, the Sydney Morning Herald, the local um, paper editorialized in support of keeping the pool as women-only access. I doubt if they do that now. Um, The editorial writer said, leave these women alone. And that's the title of my essay in the book. I think this remains a timely injunction. Leave them alone, not just individual women, but leave women as a group alone to develop in our own time and space, both individually and in concert and conviviality with other women. And I have one final note, which is that if you come to Australia, please visit us. We are dying to speak to other people. Um, We'd love to speak to other people. We'd love to take you to the pool and to uh, to, to lie on the rocks um like mermaids, or to um, to have a swim in the pool, to have an ice cream after. Please visit us. We need all the support we can get. and it's a um, it's a beautiful way of of um, providing that support for us.